Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Tourism. I'm today's host, Rachel Williams. Every fortnight, the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania brings you conversations with the brightest minds in the tourism industry. TICT is the peak body for tourism operators in the beautiful state of Tasmania. But these podcasts, if you're listening to them outside of Tasmania, the content should also be relevant for your tourism businesses wherever you are based. Today, we are joined by Stuart Alexander, the Account Executive of Steadfast Taswide Insurance Brokers. Hello to you, Stuart. Rachel, Hello. Now, very sexy topic we're going to cover today, insurance. You must get that all the time. Do people look at you and say you're a very very, interesting man? Very, very sexy occupation. We have people banging down the doors and get involved day after day. Yes, excellent. Well, we we may think it's not sexy, but it is important, isn't it? It affects all of us. Absolutely. On a personal level and a business level, insurance is the thing that allows you to continue on, future-proof your business and your your assets. So, obviously, um, we're going to talk about the relevance of certain insurance uh, options for um, business operators, predominantly in the tourism sphere. And uh, Steadfast Taswide Insurance Brokers are actually the insurance partner for the TICT. So you've been involved in helping out lots of tourism businesses around the state. We have been. Um, we've got a lot of clients in that space and we go to um, most of the events that the TICT put on. We've got a great relationship and that continues to grow with um, the operators coming on board. Okay, well, let's start at the start then. I'm a business operator starting out in the world of my little tourism business. What types of insurance would I require from day dot? So basically, Rachel, what we do is we have a chat to the client, range of meeting and catch up with them and find out about them and their business, what they do, how they do it and what's important to them. So the end result is that we can protect that business to make sure that following a significant loss – that business is going to continue on and we can protect their livelihood. So there's obviously lots of different insurances that you need to factor in when, you're, when you've when you got a business that you're operating? Absolutely. It's horses for courses. No one operator is the same. Um, you might have someone doing tours that only has a vehicle. That you've got other people who have attractions. So they've got assets and staff and public liability. So there's there's different insurances for the different operators out there and being a broker, you tailor those insurances to what they need. I'm assuming you would find many people who don't want to spend too much money on insurance because it's one of those things like a bit like superannuation, you don't need to worry about it until the future. But when the proverbial hits the fan, you need to know that you've actually got your cover up to date and also at a rate that's not underinsuring you. Oh, absolutely spot on. We I mean, know it's a grudge purchase. We know that and our clients tell us that all the time because the money they spend on the insurance could be money spent doing some maintenance or being put into the business or buying something from themselves. But when it hits the fan and you get that phone call and you say, you've got cover and we can sort it out, then they'll quite often say, well, that's the best $200 or $1,000 that I've spent because ultimately whenever you have a loss, it will always be more than what you've paid in a premium. You do get what you pay for, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, It's very much um, advice versus price. Cheap's great, but as you say, cheap is what 
um, you get what you pay for, and sometimes that cheaper option has the potential to uh, cost you a lot more money down the track. It might be $200 between the right cover and what you've probably been recommended. Um, that $200 could mean the difference between having a claim paid and having an uninsured loss, and you know, that, that could be the difference, Rachel, if you go and buy some new shoes, and we don't want that. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. love my new shoes. Do you know what the percentage would be of people who have insurance cover who actually ever need to use it? It's um, it's hard. Like, I'm not sure what the actual numbers are, but from a day-to-day basis when you're taking calls from your clients, lodging new claims or making inquiries, it's very high. There are always a proportion that may go through life or business and never have a claim, and that's fantastic because they've never had an interruption to the business, but... Unfortunately, there are those people that suffer losses that need to call on the insurance to make sure they can repair, replace and continue on. So how do you manage your liability? So um, liability is an interesting one because all businesses are different and it depends on what the, the client does. So we deal with a large range of insurers. We've got access to different insurers who do different things. So if you're running an attraction, you're going to need a specific policy to protect that. Um, it could be for events for kids, it could be for concerts, um, festivali, those kind of activities. It could be someone that takes bike riding, mountain bike riding tours. They're going to need someone different that's running a motel that needs cover for the guests that are on site. So it's for us to understand the business so we know where to go to get the appropriate cover for the business owner. And it varies, does it, in terms of cost, I'm assuming cost based on how risky you actually are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's not one brush fits all um, or tail one person with one brush. It's a case of um, the, the insurer actually looks at it and works out, well, is this high risk or low risk? So if someone's taking mountain bike tours or abseiling tours, their premium is going to be a lot higher than someone's going to be taking a walking tour around Launceston or through the gorge. So it's priced on... Um, the risk associated and how high or how low it is. And you've mentioned um, bike riding, for example, and that is, you know, you only have to listen to the uh, uh, stories of anecdotal evidence of mountain bikers thinking they're a lot younger than they are and uh, (laughs) breaking their legs on um, different um, courses that we have um, around the state. How important is it to also cover the staff that are operating those tourism businesses? Yeah, great, great point. Um, the staff is the greatest asset for a tourism operator. When you walk in the front door or speak to someone over the phone to arrange a tour or booking, um, you've got to protect those those staff members. So if they suffer an injury um, through their day-to-day work activities, then workers' compensation is a policy that's going to protect them and get them back to work. So it covers their lost wage, so they continue to get uh, paid even though they're not there, and it covers their medical expenses and the rehab and everything that's got to be done to get them fit, healthy and back into the workplace again. So it's very important that um, all operators out there who have staff make sure they've got the appropriate workers' compensation in place. And two, um, it's interesting that if you're a one-man operator and you're a sole trader, you can't hold a workers' compensation policy. You'll need something like income protection. Okay. Because I was going to ask that. You, we, we worry about the people that we're looking after and the staff, what do we need to do for our, our own selves, make sure that we're covered if something bad 
happens. Yeah, well, that's it. A lot of these um, businesses are small businesses. They're mums and dads or it's a sole trader. So if you go down with an illness or an accident or something happens to yourself, how's the business going to continue on? So you need to uh, make sure that your wage and income is protected or if you need to go and replace your person in the business, you've got a key man insurer which you would discuss with a financial planner who can have a chat to you about which will provide money to go out and contract someone to come in to do what you normally do and the business continues on its merry way. And do you find that people don't know their own worth? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, they they undersell their value to the business. People, if they're successful, it's because people are coming to their business because of reputation and that's off the back of them and what they provide. So it's so important that they value themselves and protect it. And we, we think about insurance, you know, for a house, that's sort of what everyone always insures your house and your car. Um, how imperative is it to ensure that you're not underinsured for all those um, physical structures but also the contents within them, especially um, I'm assuming hotel, like small hotel operators and um, different businesses, all of those elements, if you had to replace them tomorrow, and my husband always laughs when he says, how much are your clothes worth? And I say, oh, I've never actually added them up because it would probably be embarrassing. Um, how important is it to actually take note of that and actually do it accurately if you had to replace it tomorrow, you don't want to be underinsured. Yeah, underinsurance is a big problem, and we know it is. Um, all our stats tell us that people continue to underinsurance because they undervalue what they've got. And insurance is about a replacement um, situation whereby if the building's damaged or plant equipment or contents and stock's damaged, we've got to repair, replace it, or rebuild it. So it's invaluable. You've got to actually take the time and effort to find out what things cost to rebuild. A lot of people say, oh, I bought my building and I paid $400,000 for it. That's a market value, including the cost of the land. When it comes to insurance, we're not worried about land. It's all about rebuilding costs. We recommend people go to a registered valuer to get the properties valued because you don't want to be under insurance because there is a clause within your insurance policy that can be triggered if you're not insured correctly. So in the event of a loss, there might be 100000 The insurer go, hang on a minute, you're not insured correctly, you're underneath the threshold, we're only going to give you 70000 So it can come back and bite. Um, it might only cost you an extra $1,000 or so to, to bump the, uh, some insured up to where it needs to be, but you can see the potential of a larger loss, which is going to come out of your own back pocket if it's not done properly. And you've got to factor in you know, the building and contents, stock, it's amazing. You, if you packed up your business and moved elsewhere or you, or when you do it, when you move house yourself, you don't appreciate how much stuff you've actually got <laughs> sitting around until you put it in boxes and move it. And I think sometimes people have a bit of a guess of what they think they could replace their assets for as opposed to how much is it really going to cost. And I think you were saying earlier that um, the underinsurance um, was really highlighted during the natural disaster of the big bushfires um, in Victoria, in particular, that people were just not insured enough. Yeah, it was. Look, um, you feel for the people. A lot of people who had insurance, they take their policies out in years past, but they never actually looked at it year on year. They got their invoice, and it was within a few dollars of. Um, Last year, they go, okay, well, I'll pay the invoice. They weren't taking notice of how much cover they had. Because the sum insured hadn't altered for 10 years, 15 years, 
they were a long way underinsured. They might have had cover for two hundred thousand when they made and needed something three fifty or four hundred, and that's a horrible situation. Is because um, they're underinsured. They're only going to get money to partly build their property back. They've somehow got to go and find the extra money, refinance to finish off the house. So it's important to to understand and know what you're insured for versus what you actually need, so you can eliminate those gaps. How can people mitigate their risk? Look, risk mitigation is a big thing. So insurance is all about passing on the risk to someone else. Rachel, you insure your house and your car, so you pay money to the insurer to protect those assets. That's your way of risk mitigation because if anything happens, it falls back onto the insurer to make good on those. But there's things you can do around housekeeping and security, fire protection, um, and they're all things that we encourage people to look at. What can you actually do yourself to reduce the loss? Um, if you're an operator, you've got to look at your manuals, your OH&S manuals, because you're reducing the risks associated to your employees. What have you got in place in regards to emergencies and things like that? So you've got to be active yourself and then have insurance as a safety net to fall back on. We hear obviously so much about climate change. Is that one of the emerging risks that people need to be planning for to mitigate to mitigate against more so into the future? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, we're seeing fires in cooler months. We're seeing massive storms come through in the warmer months. The insurers are now a lot more active in this space and spending money to really get their heads around climate change and what's happening. Um, this has a lot to do with natural disasters because most of Australia's largest losses are natural disasters. It's floods, it's fires, it's significant storm damage. Thankfully in Tassie we're a little bit protected from those, um, but we still have significant losses. We've had some big storms on the northwest coast. So you've got to be mindful that is it clearing trees from around the property? Is it making sure that doorways are lifted up off the ground so you don't have water coming in, gutters are cleaned, all those things that you can do as an operator or an owner to try and protect your business that it reduces any losses. Because the flood one is a big one, isn't it? I know that uh, when I was a, a journalist back in the day, there would always be stories about people being flooded and then not being insured because there was speculation as to whether it was actually flood from a natural flood or if it was a storm surge or, or what have you. Has that all been better defined now that people can make sure their cover is appropriate? Oh, you're absolutely spot on. I think those floods that were in Brisbane, I think it was, might have been 2016, that was the issue that you had that they were trying to work out whether the water came up the road into the house or it came down the hill mm. into the house. And should it really matter though? Well, you, you wouldn't have thought so. Water's <laughs> water, isn't it? But, you know, they come back to – we talk about the fine print and that's the issue you had. You Some insurers own different brands and you had two houses side by side, overall insured by the same company, but one brand said, we'll give you flood cover and the person next door was using a different brand and they didn't have it. So – and it was all about definition. So we now have a standard definition for flood. Um, business insurance – some insurers give you flood automatically, but the majority of the time they don't. So it's something you have to factor in. Can it affect my business? Water might not flood my premises, but if you've got to come through a low-lying area and across a creek to get to my property to, to enjoy the experience and that's cut off, then you've got a problem because people can't get through to. So they're conversations you need to have with your broker to make sure that you've got the appropriate cover and quotes can be added for those additional covers such as flood. 
And I'm assuming too, like not only is it the materials that might need to be replaced or the buildings need to be repaired, but the uh, the value of your lost dollar in earnings, if you're a tourism business who's been flooded and you can't operate for six weeks while you're fixing the issues, is there cover for that that people perhaps aren't aware of? Absolutely. Look, most people are aware of it to some extent but not fully understand it and it's a cover called business interruption and it basically is there to protect the loss income through a loss, whether it's fire or flood or something like that, and also fixed expenses. So if you suffer a significant loss, you want to make sure you've got money coming in for the, the business that you've lost. You've got key staff. You don't want to lose your staff and have to replace them. That can be expensive. It will also cover their wages and other fixed expenses like rent and hydro and everything else because the last thing you want to do is not be trading and having to dip into your own life savings to pay those expenses because, yes, the business might bounce back, but financially it puts a really big strain on the business and, unfortunately, a lot of businesses that don't have it right don't survive after 12 months. And so you can get income protection not just for yourself but for all of your staff as well in those circumstances? In those circumstances, it's basically the insurance policy covering covering their uh, wages so that it's not a situation whereby they're injured. It's a case where there's an interruption to the business, which means there's no income coming in so they can't pay their staff. So the business interruption pays that as a fixed expense to the business. And what about the, uh, you've just mentioned about workers' injuries. It's inevitable. It's probably more likely to happen than a flood or a fire, I would assume. I don't know the stats. But is that something that some businesses in the tourism industry just aren't prepared for having to have that, you know, make sure their OH&S is right for their workers' compensation side of things? Yeah, absolutely. OH&S is a massive thing. You've got to have your um, processes in place. You've got to have your training in place. The staff are fully aware of what they should and shouldn't do. Unfortunately, humans are interesting bees and occasionally they still will do things that they're not supposed to and I'll guarantee you that'll be the event that leads to the loss. If you've got workers' compensation in place, why it happened is irrelevant. The insurer is still going to pay um, and unfortunately insurance claims on a workers' compensation are not a small uh, loss. They can be significant, running into tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Now, I also want to talk to you about um, an insurance, cyber insurance, because it's something that probably most people wouldn't think of. And I'm, it's actually relevant to me because the other day I had a phone call from the bank that my credit card had been compromised and people were, someone in, I think, uh, the Netherlands was spending money on it. So that was quickly cancelled. But I'm ensuring. I'm assuming that the cyber security situation is becoming so technically difficult at the moment, and it will only, in, you know, be further challenging in the future. That that's something that people need to be covered oh, for. Absolutely, it's huge. Um, most of us know how to turn the computer on and off, and that's about the extent of it. Um, yep. <laughs> these these scams are getting really technical, and they're really clever um, in how they're obtaining data from your system. So you've got two issues. You've got a, a data breach whereby I was to hack into your computer as, a, as an operator and I got information about your clients and your staff. You've actually got a uh, breach of privacy there. And then you might have a situation where you've got the actual cyber attack or a hack where they shut down your system or fill it full of um, viruses and the like, which can bring you to your knees for a period of time. We know how much we rely on our technology to keep our businesses going. We, we don't use exercise books anymore. So, you know, if you lose a bit of power, it can bring your business to its knees because you can't do anything. 
And then there's a thing called social engineering and that's where they're really clever and they'll start sending emails and communications to you uh, making out that there's someone else that you do business with saying, look, you've got an invoice which is outstanding, you pay the invoice because you believe it to be true and correct but they've made a slight variation to the bank account details where you can you can lose money and unfortunately it's becoming really, really regular losses that we're seeing. In Tasmania that's all the happening time. all the time. It's, it's very much like riding a bike. It's not a matter if you're going to fall off you actually will have a loss at some point. Right. It's uh, incredible and so what, how often it, it's happening. Is it just called cyber insurance or what? I'm assuming a lot of small operators wouldn't have even thought about that. No, look, it's it's normally the bigger ones that will raise it with you. But if you're using computer for your, your business, it doesn't matter if you're a one or 100-man operation, you've got the same exposures. Um, a larger business has more to lose. A smaller business can't afford to lose anything. So it doesn't really matter the size. You've actually got to factor taking some form of um, protection because it's very, very difficult to get the money back once it's gone. So all of these different insurances, we and we're obviously talking worst-case scenarios here, you'd be unlucky if they all hit you. Oh, absolutely. But as a percentage of your overall business expenditure, say, for example, over the course of a year, is there a percentage that you should have factored in to spend on insurance? Is there a It's a bit hard. To, number? Yeah, a bit hard to say. As we said before, it's about horses for courses. Some people have minimal insurance exposures and if it's low risk, it won't be much at all. But if you're a large hotel with you've got large um, wage rolls and you own the assets and things like that, then it can be quite high. So it's, it depends on the individual but you really need to have a chat to the broker and say, this is what I've got. I haven't looked at it for a number of years. Can we review it? And changes can be made. Sometimes some people overinsure. That's fantastic. So it's all about getting the balance right. You love it's, those people, don't you? Oh, we love them. Because <laughs> uh, you go to bed at night and know that if they have a loss, there's no worries. They've got the protection. It's those ones that want to fight and scrape over every penny that you worry about because they, you know they're cutting corners because it might save them $500, but the potential for a loss is 20 times that amount. And they're the ones where you really got to try and help the person. So the age-old saying of plan for the worst, hope for the best could be truer for your oh, industry? absolutely spot on. It's And Murphy's Law plays a big part in our industry. It's, it's, it'll be the client that decides not to take the cover, which unfortunately is the one that makes the phone call, says, oh, you know how we had a chat? We've got a problem. And you don't want to have those conversations because you want to be able to protect them, that you want to give them good news when they ring up. And so overall in Tasmania, how unlucky are some tourism businesses? Have they, Do you have to see them and give them the bad news frequently? Fortunately, oh, touching wood on the desk here, it, we've had a pretty good run. Um, most people are really understanding. They're owner-operators, so they understand the importance of protecting their business. Um, so, no, thankfully we haven't had to have too many difficult decisions, but occasionally it does happen from, from time to time. Um, not everything's covered. We can't pretend that it is, but we try to protect absolutely everything that we can to ensure that your business is going to be successful and survives. So just to recap then, um, Stuart, give us your your three sexy top tips of uh, insurance planning. Oh, unbelievable sexy. I don't know about that. <laughs> it's about the right cover. Make sure you've got enough cover to protect the business. Risk mitigation, what, what can you do which will help reduce 
potential losses and keeping in mind if you've got good risk mitigation, it can actually work for you in helping reduce your premiums um, and having a good relationship with your broker that you can have a chat to them and they get to know you, they understand your business um, and what and what it needs to be successful. So and I suppose that's really advice. important for to be have that personal approach as opposed to just jotting down some numbers in a computer and sending it off overseas and hoping that that insurance cover will cover it. It's probably not a wise idea. Uh, absolutely ideal. And look, you've only got to turn the TV on of a night and see that there's a lot of direct insurers advertising. A lot of that's home and contents. Um, there's even dangers with that. But certainly from a business point of view, you want someone to tailor the insurances for you. So when it hits the fan, you can pick up the phone and speak to that person and know who they are because you've met them, you know you're going to get them and they're going to work for you. And that's the benefit of a broker. Brokers represent the client, they don't represent the insurer. So people listening, is there a certain checklist that they could find that's relevant for TICT members and other people? Um, Look, what you can do, I don't know if there's a checklist in place, Rachel, but they can call the TICT and have a chat to them and then they can um, direct them on to myself and we can have a chat to them. It doesn't hurt just to have a conversation. And for you, Stuart, 28 years involved you have been in, in general insurance. Anything major stand out over that time that's that you can still recall as an interesting insurance moment? Yeah, or? look, there's been some significant losses over the journey and, and pleased to sit here and say that um, they're all sorted and everything was fine. But one of the better ones was I had a client who um, called to say they needed to update update their content insurance because they're very proud of some purchases they'd made and saved up for, including a leather couch. And I got a phone call the next day. She was in tears. And I said, what's happened? What's happened? And she said, oh, I've damaged my new couch. And I said, you've only had it. 12 what were hours. You doing on the what, couch? What, ha- what have you done to it? And she goes, I didn't have my glasses on and the windows were open and there was flies everywhere. So I sprayed the flies. I said, right, I don't understand. What's happened to the couch? She goes, it was oven cleaner and I didn't have my glasses on. Oh, no. <laughs> so little things like that, as disastrous as it can be, um, we had a laugh about it at the time, but I could say, it's okay, you've got the right cover. We'll get you a new couch. Get you a new couch. And maybe you should, you know, these days, go to Specsavers. Go to Specsavers and clean your oven instead of the couch. Correctly. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time, Stuart. It does sound like, though, it is, um, you know, the last 30 years is going to be certainly different to the the issues facing insurance people over the next 30 years. Oh, There's going to be lots of different challenges. I was out of doubt. I look at when I first started and look at the way how we do business and the risks that we face now we talked about cyber and climate change, weren't discussed, didn't exist. So, And they're sort of unknowns as well, aren't they? They are. They're evolving. Each day there's, there's things are changing, evolving, and that's where it's up to brokers and insurers to continue to change and look ahead to be reactive and not proactive. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for that. Stuart Alexander joining us today, an account executive at Steadfast Taswide Insurance Brokers, the insurance partner for the TICT. Um, I hope that uh, if you've been listening that you've got some value out of our conversation. You're going to go home tonight and start jotting down everything you own and what it would cost to replace it. Um, so if you have uh, taken some good advice out of today, please do um, tell your colleagues to take a listen to our podcast And we thank you for listening and we'll be back in a fortnight with another conversation with another expert on talking tourism. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. 
For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.